As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. play on this episode of the Total Soccer Show. My name is Ryan Bailey. I'm temporarily taking the reins of the weekend review while your friend and mine, Taylor Rockwell, sees through an important familial duty he started about nine months ago. Over the next hour or so, we'll be discussing how Jose Mourinho got his groove back, how Diogo Jota is pulling in the slack, and how Milan are cruising thanks to Zlat and so close to rhyming that one so close joining me on this wild monday ride is friend of the show and the greatest thing to come out of scotland since the television the telephone penicillin the bicycle and andrew robertson's left foot it's graham rutherford graham how are you sir that's quite some company to keep there ryan i'm good how are you very good indeed and i I had this teacher graham when i was younger at school who was scottish and he claimed that like scotland invented everything and we'd say like no way you did like the television, not like, yet we invented it. The, you know, the telephone, yet we invented it. And they, he just went on and on. And Scotland did seem to invent everything we use in modern society. That is definitely true. We also invented football. The English, uh, you know, can't claim, claim that one. If you check the history books, that's ours. And we also invented binge drinking. So uh, you're welcome, world. Oh, those are two of my favorite things. That's crazy. <laughs> Amazing. Well, hang on. I did see a, a TV show on Netflix called The English Game. Are you telling me there's some problems with that title? Yeah, don't don't believe everything uh, you watch on Netflix. I'm sure viewers of The Crown will attest to that. <laughs> Fair enough, Graham. All right, we've got some big games to get into this weekend. Before we do, it's Thanksgiving week this week, Graham. I was just interested in getting your perspective. You're in Glasgow, Scotland at the moment. What's what's Thanksgiving like in the UK these days? I've been I've been absent from my home country uh, for for a decade now, and I'm I'm seeing from friends at home like you have Black Friday now, and like what's what's the is Thanksgiving more of a cultural thing in the UK now? Um, slightly, a little bit. I mean, it's certainly not something that is observed widely here. But yeah, you, if you go to a supermarket, which I suppose at the moment not many people are doing this year, but normally if you go to a supermarket, there will be, there will be some form of, of, of Thanksgiving gifts. But yeah, it's, it's not something widely 
uh, observed. To be honest, Thanksgiving um, in the UK, I, I associate with people watching like NFL football. That that mm. seems to be the thing that that most people um, will observe around Thanksgiving. But yeah, after after Halloween here, as I'm sure you're aware, it's kind of full steam ahead Christmas. And uh, normally, I'd be doing the whole old man yells at cloud routine about uh, Christmas adverts appearing on TV two weeks ago and people with their trees up already, but. You know what? This year it's it's been such a rough one. I, I, I'm willing to uh, uh, afford more tolerance. And you, you know what? If you want your tree up, go for it. I say. Yeah, definitely. So I think I've been very grouchy about uh, decorations going up early, but this year we'll give it a pass. I think 2020 is fine for a for for a little bit of festive cheer, a little bit early this year. Anyway, Graham, let's get to the big games we're going to talk about today. Let's start off with the events in North London: Tottenham against Manchester City on Saturday, Jose against Pep. This one finished two nil to the host Tottenham. What a world we live in. They're top of the Premier League on goal difference at the moment. Meanwhile, Manchester City, they've dropped 15 points in their opening nine games. This comes a couple of days after uh, Pep Guardiola was given a new two-year contract by Manchester City. This defeat did. Um, Well, let's get your initial impressions on this game, Graham. I'll start off by saying that Tottenham had four attempts on goal. Manchester City had 22. It did seem that City certainly were pretty dominant in uh, in the opening half of this game, at least. Yeah, they were. And I think they had also 66% of possession. And, and we all know that possession doesn't mean dominance. But as you say, 22 shots to four shots there, they certainly had their opportunities. Um, you know, that, that Spurs pulled off a, a similar result against City last season, of course. And there was an, a kind of an element of, of good fortune um, to that performance. To do it twice, though, I think it just proves that, that this wasn't, this was down to more than just good luck. You know, this was, this was, uh, a Mourinho masterclass in the way that we've maybe not seen that often over the past few years, um, certainly since he left Chelsea. And um, yeah, it, it, the game was set up as as Mourinho wanted to. The, the City played into to Spurs' hand. Of course, you do need a little bit of good luck. You need City to, to spurn a few opportunities. I think Aguero was a big miss, you know, not, not having him come on off the bench. He's obviously had a, an injury recently. Gabriel Jesus... A good striker, a very good player, but I'm just not convinced that when City really need a goal and when um, the, you know it's the big moments and the big occasions that he can deliver. I know he scored a, a really good goal against Liverpool but, uh, a, a couple of weeks ago, but it feels like he needs three good chances to score one. And in games like this, that you, you can't really get away with that. And Aguero is becoming a bit of a problem for City, not just this season, but beyond, because of course he's out of contract at the end of this season. He's 32, I think, now, Sergio Aguero. So do they give him an extension? Do they go into the market to sign someone like uh, Lataro Martinez? Or, of course, Erling Haaland is, is on fire, as he has been you know, all year for, for Dortmund. So some, some, uh, some questions to answer for City. I think Pep Guardiola getting that, that contract now means that they can plan ahead a little bit for the, for the future. And I expect to see some movement with some new contracts. I think there's talk about Raheem Sterling. He might get signed to New Deal. We'll probably find out, I'd imagine, before the turn of the year what's happening with Aguero. Um, but yeah, this performance was, was concerning for City and, and the results certainly so for them as well. Yeah, definitely so. So let's talk about that a little bit from the City perspective. Graham, I've, I've had this theory that, you know, 
when when City were the most dominant with that four three three, when they had Fernandinho in the defensive midfield, and they had sort of the two wingers who would either drive to the byline or you know put in put in the crosses for someone in the middle. That was a really successful formula. But obviously, they don't have you know um you, they've got some positional changes now. They don't have those two wingers like they did. Uh, they've got some new 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 faces coming in. There's maybe is there a pers- an idea that Guardiola is operating like he's still got players he doesn't have, or even that he's playing a system, you know, that, that he thinks he's got Javi and Messi that he doesn't. He's got Ferran Torres and he's got, you know, Riyad Mahrez instead. And, you know, it, it, it is a problem that uh, Gabi Jesus maybe is there instead of Sergio Aguero. What do you think? Is, it, is, this a, is this a personnel issue or is this a system issue for, for Pep Guardiola? I know this is the old cop-out answer, but I think it's a little bit of both. You're right to, to point out the way that they have changed the, the system. I mean, when, when Guardiola came in, he played with um, you know Sterling and, and Sani, and, and Sterling's obviously still a first-team figure, but since Guardiola's come in, he he's changed kind of as a player, Sterling. He's much more of a... Uh, you could describe him as a centre-forward, even. He, that's how much he's changed. He's probably more of an inside-forward, you would say, in the, in the style of you know Mohamed Salah or someone like that. But he's not a winger, as what I'm trying to say. He's not hitting the byline anymore. And mm. and now they've got, um, you know, you mentioned Riyad Mahrez there, who who is also not a winger. He cuts inside and 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 links up. So I think a lot of what City are experiencing is 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 uh, issues with their fullbacks. I mean that that's been a big focus for Guardiola since he's been at Manchester City, hasn't it? You know, he spent a yeah. lot of money on fullbacks. Kyle Walker, I know he had a good spell a few weeks ago. I'm still not totally convinced. I wouldn't quite go to the extent that Roy Keane went to on uh, in, in TV on TV and calling him a what did he call him a car crash? I think he called him. I, I'm not quite at that level of Kyle Walker, but I, I still think there are there are questions of Kyle, Kyle Walker. And then, of course, the the left back position is is a bit of a disaster for Manchester City. I mean, they've spent a lot of money on 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 players for that position, and and really they're not. They're not. They don't really know what they're doing there. I actually watched Sergio Reguilon for Spurs against them uh, on Saturday, and thought he's the left back that City have been looking for for years. He's he's the guy that they need. You know, just someone who is a a, a pure ball of energy who can cover so much ground, and and that's really what Guardiola looks for in a, in a fullback. You look back to his Barcelona days, that great Barcelona team. Dani Alves, of course, is 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 the the gold standard of that, and and his greatest quality was. You didn't really need to worry about the right wing. You know, he 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 basically controlled that whole wing from a defensive and an attacking um, point of view, and that's what Reguilon is is doing for for Spurs, albeit on the left side. And mm. um, it just it just it it speaks to maybe a disconnect between the recruitment at City, and I, and I know you'll probably watch the the Amazon Prime documentary on City where they they kind of went into the the recruitment side of things, and and it all looks very. Um, comprehensive and uh, what's the word City used a few years ago? Holistic. 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 The, yes, that old word that they, they like to use. And, and you know, there's a committee sitting around the table and they're talking about, right, if this player becomes available, we move for this player. And it all gives this sense of, of forward planning. But I think there's a disconnect between that process and what Guardiola is doing with the players on the pitch. And, and if Guardiola is going to be successful in rebuilding this team, because that's what he needs to do now with this new contract uh, in his hand, there needs to be closer alignment between between those two processes. 
Yeah, definitely. It's it's very interesting. I always do frown when I hear someone say they're taking a holistic approach. By the way, it always makes me wonder what's going on there. But but in in terms of city, yeah, you made some very good points there, and and I, I do come back to this defensive midfield position for Guardiola time and time again because I think it's so important. And Fernandinho did such a good job there, and with Rodri. You know, a lot of his passes in this game were sort of sideways and backwards. You don't get quite that same speed when he's coming back to defend a counter-attack. And Spurs were blitzing. They were battering uh, City on the counter-attack during this game. And it just seemed like Tottenham were very happy to let Spurs, let sorry, to let City play their game, wait for them to sort of put it out to the wings as they usually do. And then they weren't quite as productive with it when it did come to the wings. And it was it, it was a pretty rough match for them. And let maybe let's focus on... Gabby Jesus as well, and, and that front position. There, there's been these theories that we, we, we're seeing Messi looking not particularly happy at Barcelona and him being not even included in the midweek Champions League squad. We don't know quite what's going on there. And there were rumours that he would come to City. And it got me thinking, you've made me think a little bit when you've talked about players like Erling Haaland coming to City as well. Who, What would fix this Man City team? Because the, when I think about it, it's not a Messi kind of player who's going to fix them. It's maybe more of a Ronaldo, maybe more a more of a central figure who's going to bang in those goals. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think City are lacking in three key positions. I mentioned they're the left back. I think they need a solution for what's going on there. That's been going on for, what, two to three years now. I think the other position you mentioned there, Fernandinho uh, slash Rodri position, I know they spent a lot of money on Rodri. I actually think he has a good use in this City team, but it, it feels like he needs someone alongside him rather than being the Fernandinho figure. I think he... I think if you take away the kind of defensive uh, responsibilities from him, then you 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 get a much better player. You get someone who's probably going to be more focused in what they can do in the on the possession side of things. So I think maybe a defensive midfielder, and then as I mentioned earlier, a striker. City need to figure out whether they are going full in on uh, Gabriel Jesus. I am not convinced. I think he's a good player, as I say, not to go over old ground, but I think he's a good player. I'm just not convinced he's the Aguero successor. And if he's not, do they go for someone like Lataro Martinez, who I think would be perfect to, to replace Aguero? He's kind of that hybrid of, of Aguero and Luis Suarez and that he has that that kind of a relentless movement quality, Wrigley quality that Suarez has where, you know, there's four players around him and somehow he manages to, to squeeze the ball through them and you're not entirely sure whether it was whether it was good skill or good fortune, but it doesn't really matter because he's through and goal. And 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 um, I think he would be a a fantastic addition. And and for City, I look back at the key players that they've lost over the last few years. They, they lost Vincent Kompany, they lost David Silva, and of course Aguero. It's possible he could go at the end of the season with Kompany. Mm. With each of these players, I think City have downgraded. There's not there's not a player they've not directly replaced someone where you go, okay, that that player is as good as the player who has left. Um, they didn't replace company at all until this season with uh, Ruben Diaz coming in. I think he looks quite good, but I'm, I'm still not convinced he's as good as company. David Silva, you know, who was the replacement for him? Ferran Torres, but he, that's not a direct replacement for Silva. Slightly different positions. He's Torres has, has played as a central striker even at times. So have they really replaced Silva? I suppose Foden is maybe the replacement for him. When Aguero leaves, if he leaves, I should say, at the end of the season, they need to go. They need to go big. I think City. They need to go and get someone they know is almost like going to be a guaranteed success because they haven't done that in, with Company and Silva. Mm, just wants to spend that budget on fullbacks and defenders, though, doesn't he? Pep doesn't want to spend big money on a striker. <laughs> That's going to be the problem there potentially. And before we move on to talking about the team that actually won this game, which we probably should give them some attention, Graham. Yes. Um, <laughs> 
Pep Guardiola getting that two-year contract, the timing doesn't seem fantastic given this result. And I'm just thinking about managers like Pochettino on the sidelines and what could be for City in, in perhaps next season. And they've got Pep Guardiola. And I don't know, there are these theories that he's almost been found out a little bit, that he's refusing to change his style, that you know teams are adapting to him, as we've seen very much from Tottenham's performance here. What do you think? Has, has Pep Guardiola got... Well, obviously, he does at least have a two-year future with City, but does he have a long-term future as a top, top manager? I think the issue for City here is that they're entering a little bit of the unknown here. They're, they've given Guardiola a contract almost out of blind faith. And I know that seems ridiculous for a manager who's achieved what he's achieved at the game. He's In the game, he's won two Premier League titles, you know, other trophies for Manchester City, broke the, the points record in the Premier League a couple of seasons ago. But, but Guardiola has never built a team he's never overhauled a team he's never had two great teams at one club mm. and that's where the element of the unknown comes from here I think it's a massive gamble um obviously City have a <laughs> stating the obvious here they have a, a closer relationship than you or I do with Pep Guardiola so they maybe uh you know they they have a clo- a, a, a better insight into speak for yourself Greg his... speak for yourself we're great friends <laughs> I don't know how tight you are with Pep but I, I think uh Soriano and uh uh, Stein are, are closer with him than than I am certainly. Um, so they 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 will have a better insight into what his ideas are for the future, how he wants to change the teams. Also, just for just for his, his character, you know, whether he's 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 up for the fight because obviously at, at Barcelona he left through exhaustion. Um, he he was he was weary at the end of those four years at Barcelona, and it was it was fairly similar towards the end of his time at, at Bayern Munich. You know, it, it felt like. He himself had had tired himself out after three years there, so I, I think it's important that Guardiola is so intense and 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 his methods are so intense, and and you don't really get a, a you know a quiet moment from him. I can't imagine in the dressing room that if it does does he have two years more two more years left in the tank? Well, I guess only he knows that. But yeah, it's it's, it's a massive gamble, especially with Pochettino sitting right there who seems like someone who would come in and, and make the best of what City already have and would, would kind of evolve them a little bit and, and it seems like he's ready to take on a job in the Premier League. So a gamble, certainly. I'm interested to see how it, how it pans out. My hunch is that maybe Guardiola doesn't last the two years extension. That's just a hunch. That's just a little prediction that, that maybe he lasts only one more season. Um, yeah. I could, I could, uh, I could get on the back of that one. I, I think maybe two years might be a stretch. It depends how things go this season and maybe into next season. But as a famous Mancunian once said, it's all part of the master plan. I'm sure they know what they're doing. Let's talk a little bit about Tottenham. Maybe we can talk about the two goals they, that were scored here. Uh, min Son getting the first after about five minutes. It looked quite easy for Tottenham this one. It came against the run of play. They were, as I say, battering City on the counter. That was their plan for this one. We had this loop ball over the top from Ndombele. Uh, uh, Edison is forced to come to the edge of his box and Harry Kane, who he didn't get the assist and Dombele did, but Kane probably deserves an assist for his for his work in this goal, uh, drawing both centre-backs out to create space uh, for, for, uh, for Son to run into. And Cancelo has to kind of come and run across while he's keeping an eye on Serge Aurier, making his run as well. Very, very well played here from Tottenham, this goal. And, and Harry Kane sort of said in his post-match interview about how they were, they were, he, his job, his, one of his duties was to try and draw the centre-backs out in this game. And they knew their game plan. They knew they were going to sit in a low block for most of this game. And I, I think that goal 
sort of said a lot about how Jose Mourinho set up his game and it is much to his credit. And also the second goal, Graham, with uh, Lo Celso coming off the bench to get to, to, to get the goal there, showing, you know, some excellent, excellent game management. So why don't we talk about Jose Mourinho? There's been this long-held opinion that he's a dinosaur, the game's moved past him. When he came to Tottenham, many Tottenham fans and other fans saying, oh, this is the wrong appointment, we're going backwards here. But we're kind of getting peak second season Mourinho here, aren't we? We know that he can be pretty unstoppable in his second season when he gets his tactics established on a team, when he's playing who he wants, when he's got all his players buying into his into his style. And, and we've got, as I say, this great game management. He makes the changes at the right times, particularly uh, the example there of Lo Celso coming on and getting getting the second goal. And if we know anything about Mourinho, Graham, it's that he, he really knows how to, to, to coach defensively. And he's kind of got this perfect alchemy going on of defensive players here and, and his anchoring midfielders. It just, it just seems like this game, I, I don't want to jump to conclusions and say that Tottenham are going to win the league and it's going to be fantastic. But it seems like Mourinho is justifying his position very well at the moment, doesn't it? Yeah, he is. And, and, and I'm surprised, to be honest. I was one of those, those people who thought it was a weird fit for Tottenham. I thought it was Daniel Levy... Um, a vanity project from Daniel Levy, to be honest, and and um, you know if you you watch, uh, I swear this 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 podcast isn't uh, sponsored by Amazon Prime, but again another Amazon Prime video documentary series, the Spurs one, obviously that they also did with with City. If you watch that and you hear Daniel Levy talking about Mourinho, it does feel a little bit like he's he has a, a dated opinion of Mourinho. He talks about the two, and this keep in mind this is the last season. He talks about the two best managers in the game and, and obviously the other one he's referencing is Pep Guardiola and mm. he thinks Mourinho is, is, is the second one and last season that, that seemed like a little bit of a strange opinion to hold. I still think Mourinho's methods are quite outdated but if the game left him behind for a few years I think the unique circumstances of this season have actually brought it back to him a little bit. I think this season's title race is going to be about attrition. It's going to be a war of attrition. It's going to be about how many punches um, you can absorb, and we all know that's exactly what that's what Mourinho's good at. Um, that's not that's not to say that I think they'll win the title. I think there's another team in in red that we're going to speak about later that can they've shown they can pretty much absorb as many punches. So I, I, I think um, it's it's I think maybe people are getting slightly carried away with Spurs being this is Spurs year, and and you know we also have to factor in any uh, dodgy lasagnas that might come into play towards the <laughs> end of the. The season as well. There's always something that stops Spurs from from winning a title. But on the evidence we have now, this was a this was a massive win for Spurs. A, a massive statement win. It, it felt like even though they had less possession, less shots, it felt like they were in control. The, the match was played on their terms. They made it the match that it was. And you're right to point out Kane and, and Son there. They are the perfect forwards for Mourinho because. And Marine, one of the things that has made Mourinho a little bit outdated is he's a manager who likes his forwards to play instinctively. Um, mm. And he, Son and Kane are two players that just have a natural understanding. They just know where each other are on the pitch. Maybe I'm doing Mourinho a disservice, but when I, when I see them playing, I, do, I don't feel like it's, it's, it's the result of a, a deep tactical understanding, a tactical master plan. I think Mourinho's plan is basically to give them as much space as possible to play into. And that's what the defensive structure does does and did against uh, City, where Spurs were basically camped inside their own half. I think I saw at halftime a, a heat map in City or, a, or a, a, a graph that plotted each player's position. And every single 
Spurs average players' average position was inside their own half. But what that does in an attacking sense is gives Kane and Son a whole half to play into and, and to burst into. And that's exactly what they did. So, yes, it's, it's a defensive structure and a, de- a defensive approach for Mourinho, but it also has a, an attacking purpose. And that's what I think Kane and Son give Spurs is purpose. That Everything that, that Spurs are doing at the moment, and I wrote a piece about this for, for Eurosport at the weekend, everything that they're doing, it's not just a backs of the wall job, let's keep a clean sheet. It's a platform for Kane and, and Son to, to, to go and cause damage. I do wonder what happens if one of those players or both of those players get injured because obviously both of them have had injury troubles in, in, in recent seasons. I think that could be a massive blow and that could potentially end Spurs' uh, title hopes. But for now, they look like a team that, is, that can really uh, compete with anyone. And, and if things keep going this way, they keep everyone fit and uh, the kind of unique circumstances of this season are, are, are maintained I think Spurs will be up there near the, the top end of the table yeah I think you're right there Graham and uh, yeah that is the x factor isn't it uh, Son and Kane staying fit through this season uh it's not as if they've got a very successful Welshman waiting in the wings to come in to replace one of them of course that could be dangerous as well if we think about that but this this was really well done from Jose Mourinho and you made the point there about it sort of being set up for Kane and Son to have success and the second goal was evidence of that we had Alderweireld sort of making a clearance from the edge of his own box uh goes to goes to Kane he's in so much space near the centre circle because of the space they've created there and the ball goes wide to Lo Celso for that really good finish and they had so much space in the middle of the park created by that sort of low block system as you mentioned they were set up to counter in this one really good defending really good pressure off the ball they just sat back let City do their thing and basically let Kevin De Bruyne pound shots into Eric Dyer. I think 20 of those 22 shots probably hit Eric Dyer. one of them hit um, Gabby Jesus's rear end I seem to remember as well and maybe some <laughs> others hitting into the advertising hoardings but but just really well done and defensively you know Eric Dyer I thought was very good in this coming back into central defense and Hoiberg, Hoibier, Hoibier, let's say Hoibier, um he he was a player who sort of took a little while to settle into this Tottenham team. There were some questions about him, but he was pretty fantastic in that double pivot with Sissoko as well, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. And and he's been one of the biggest success stories of, of this Spurs team this season. And, and he's a strange one because you watch you watch Southampton and it doesn't seem like they're missing him that much. And yet he he's gone to Spurs and he's made such a a fundamental difference. I remember his debut um, on the opening day of the season where, of course, Spurs actually lost to to Mm. Everton at home and it seemed like maybe they were in for a difficult season, how things quickly uh, changed after that. But he was was pretty poor. He didn't seem to to know his position and and really, um, yeah, he's he's become the the perfect uh, Mourinho midfielder in in that double pivot role. And the way he's playing is, is almost how I felt Mourinho wanted Paul Pogba to play. And and you look at you look at a number of these Spurs players and, and a lot of them look like quintessential Mourinho players and Hoiberg is, is, is one of them. He's got fullbacks who um, he lacked at, at Manchester United. You know, Reguilon, we've already mentioned him, is, is, is an excellent left-back who just gets up and down the whole game. I know Aurier played on, on, on Saturday, but Doherty on, on the right side as well. Endombele uh, has become... A, a perfect Mourinho midfielder as well, which, you know, plot twist, didn't see that one coming last season. His pass for the, the first goal was extraordinary and behind, um, so nonchalant, so effortless effortless as well. And then, as, mm. as I say, you know, Kane and, and Son are, are perfect Mourinho forwards. Um, and even Bale, Bale, you mentioned there, you know, Bale is someone who 
at, at his best is is when he's just allowed to to do his thing and and play in, instinctively and and so you know he could he could be a factor as well. So everywhere you look, from Hoiberg to the fullbacks to even the, the defenders like Eric Dyer, I've been a massive uh, doubter to be honest of Eric Dyer at centre back until a, maybe about a month ago, and it just seems like Mourinho's getting the a tune of him as well, you know, and 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 he's doing a a, a good job in that position. Um, Kane, you know, sorry to go back to Kane, but I've been I've been a critic of the way he was dropping deep as well in recent seasons. But again, Mourinho's just making that work. It's quite similar to uh, I've watched uh, Real Madrid a lot recently. It's quite similar to how Benzema plays for them. You know, he's more than just a, a number nine, a finisher. So yeah, Mourinho is getting the best out of out of this team. Hoiberg looks like the perfect Mourinho midfielder, and um, yeah, the outlook is very positive for them. It is very positive, and they had some, yeah, some really nice passages of play. I think one of the best ones was, I think, in the twelfth minute, they had that really stunning disallowed goal that Kane converted in the end. It was, I think, nine players involved in it, with uh, once again catching out City's high line with uh, Bergwijn. I think it was getting in behind Carl Walker to sort of make the most of that move. And I saw some comparisons, Graham, to sort of the twenty twelve thirteen Real Madrid team of Jose Mourinho. Uh, more in, and this wasn't a count, wasn't strictly a counter attack. This, this, uh, that disallowed goal, but. It was a build-up off the, um, going up the field, and it, it felt like there were some similarities between what Mourinho was doing there and 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 what he's doing here with Tottenham. So it's quite exciting to see him once again. It's that second season Mourinho thing. I, I, I tell you what, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I may or may not have had a had a had a had a little punt on Tottenham to win the league. I got eight to one on that, Graham. Am I crazy? No, you're not. Eight to one is sounds pretty good. I wish I'd got on that because uh, I bet they're a, a bit narrower now. Yeah, I know. I, I think it's it's crazy to think about, and I, I just it just feels to me like this is a season where any any team, or any of several teams, could win it. And for Jose Mourinho to capitalize in the chaos of 2020-21, it feels like the right thing that's going to happen in some ways, doesn't it? Yeah, that would be the the most. Uh, I know it will happen in twenty twenty one, but the most twenty twenty ending to the season if uh, the captain of chaos, Jose Mourinho, ends up uh, with the, the the trophy in his hand. That would be quite a fitting end to a, a chaotic <laughs> season. It would indeed. Well, there's going to be one team certainly gunning to stop Tottenham from winning the Premier League. That's Liverpool, who took on Leicester, got a 3-0 win over Leicester on Sunday. This is a Liverpool team that, you know, were pretty depleted. No Trent Alexander-Arnold, no Gomez, no uh, Virgil van Dijk, of course, no Jordan Henderson, no Thiago, no leading goal scorer at Mo Salah. That's quite a lot of absences here, Graham. But um, <laughs> Liverpool did pretty darn well in this game, didn't they? It, it's, it almost seems like uh, they, they've got a very deep squad and they have... Uh, you know, a, a manager who knows what he's doing. It's it, it was an incredible performance. You know, it reminded me of um, do you know that the the, uh, the scene in uh, Monty Python where the the knight uh, says, you know, it's only a flesh wound as he gets his arm chopped off, then his <laughs> leg chopped off. It's like that with Liverpool, except this in this situation, the knight actually successfully wins the, the fight. You know, with one arm. You know, and and it was a remarkable uh, performance from Liverpool, and they just seem to be getting. You know, since Van Dyke's injury in the Merseyside derby, I think they've got better. That's not me saying that they're a better team without Van Dyke. Of course, they're a better team with him on the on the pitch. But just in terms of their recent performances, it's as if every injured player and every unavailable player has 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 galvanised them. I mean, Fabinho at centre back, he was so good, and he and he has been so good. I know he had an injury as well, but in the in the couple of games he has played at centre back since Van Dyke 
got injured. He's been so good that actually I've started to wonder if he could be a bit of a, Mas- Mas- a bit of a Mascherano, if that's where his long-term position for Liverpool could be over the next few years. Um, because obviously Joe Gomez has, has done pretty well in that position, it's fair to say, but it's the one position in that team, in that Liverpool team, you would say when everyone's fit, they could, they could probably afford to upgrade. They could probably have someone um, you know, slightly higher calibre. So there is a position. And obviously with Thiago Alcantara coming from, from Bayern Munich, you know, maybe their, their dependence on Fabinho in the centre of the pitch isn't, isn't quite as acute. So it, it, I just wonder if maybe that's his, his, uh, his long-term position. But for so many players to be out and, and to still pull off a performance like this with James Milner coming on in central midfield and Curtis Jones coming in and Minamino at the end and Jota, who I know has been excellent, but at the start of the season maybe wasn't going to be a, a first-team starter. It reminded me of um, back in, in the peak Sir Alex Ferguson days when he would play a central midfield of Fabio De Silva and John O'Shea and get a result against Arsenal. You know, it, it, was, it, was, it was pretty reminiscent of that and, and just shows how strong Klopp's coaching is and how strong mm. his philosophy is and that players can come in from other areas of the squad and, and, and just... There's very little drop off, you know, and 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 they they can pull off performances like this. Yeah, fantastic stuff. And I think you're right there. It does really speak to the character of Jurgen Klopp's coaching here. And I'll I'll draw a comparison back to Manchester City to, to go back to them once again. Um, when you looked at last season, why why they were unsuccessful? You could say it was when Americ Laporte went out injured long term, and they you know th- then you had Fernandinho having to drop back into um, into centre back position and having that sort of revolving cast of centre backs joining him, and you know he's perfectly equipped to deal with uh, the centre back position, but it meant that he wasn't doing Fernandinho things in defensive midfield. Whereas, mm. and, and I was I was thinking following that logic. That's going to be a big problem for Liverpool when Virgil van Dijk goes out. And it just, as you say, hasn't seemed to be the case that not only is Fabinho kind of uh, in this game certainly stepped up in the centre-back role, but they're not having those defensive midfield problems. They're still operating as a unit. It seems like whoever comes in, the the, the, the revolving door positions as they may be at the moment, they're still having success. And that's really important. Their system is not failing depending on certain positions not being there. They're not as reliant on certain characters if that makes sense yeah and, and going back to when we're talking about Spurs you know and I said this this season's uh, title race will be a, a war of attrition and and most people assume that will favor Spurs in a title race with some justification mm. I, I think this performance in Liverpool's recent uh, results shows that they can absorb just as many punches you know they are a, a much more stylish team I think than than Mourinho's Spurs so that leads you to believe that maybe they have a bit more of a soft center not a bit of it. Not a bit of it. They are a hard, hard group of players who know how to win and can absorb punches, as I say. So if this season is, is a war of attrition, the title race, which it, it looks like it will be, um, I favour Liverpool to come out on top, even after everything that, that, that they've faced. I think they're equipped as a, as, a, as, a, as a group of players in terms of their character as much as their, their footballing ability. Yeah, a 3-0 win here for Liverpool. Uh, that's 64 games undefeated at Anfield. Now, that's quite a record they're holding there. Legend has it last time they were beaten at Anfield in the league. Fulham actually took a good penalty. It was that long ago. <laughs> um, the three goals here, we first first one with, a, with an Evans' own goal. Uh, we're used to seeing some no-look goals, uh, maybe from Bobby <laughs> Firmino, but this was a different kind of no-look goal. Pretty poor, flicked header. Pretty casual for an own goal as far as they go, but spoke to the pressure that Liverpool were putting on Leicester's back line. And then the second goal, Graham, with uh, Diego Jota getting on the score score sheet. Um, 
Andy Robertson. Why don't we talk about him? I'm sure you'd love to uh, wax lyrical about Andy Robertson, who finds himself in a sort of ton of space when the ball switched over to him. Beats, I think it was Mark Brighton pretty easily and puts in the most perfect cross for the most perfect header for that second goal. Wonderful stuff, wasn't it? Yeah, and Andy Robertson deserves uh, a lot of praise at the moment because he, he, the international break was a, was a was a tough one for him. You know, he played two big games for Scotland. One of them went to extra time and and, and penalties. He then comes back to his, his club side and 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 plays ninety minutes. I think he played the full ninety minutes. I don't think he was he was subbed off and and was brilliant, as you say. The the deliveries that he puts in. Um, I don't want to say make it easy for the forwards because there's still a bit of work to be done and and and. Um, you know they've got some good headers of the ball, Liverpool. But he's one of the best crossers in the Premier League. I would say probably the second best crosser. The only one that I would say is better is obviously his his uh, his opposite number on the on, on the other flank or the other fullback position, Trent Alexander Arnold. But this season, going to say James Milner there for a second. <laughs> well, he's third. He's he's slightly <laughs> further down the. Um, yeah, Trent Alexander Arnold. Uh, this season has. I know he's got an injury at the moment, but. He's not been up to the level of Andy Robertson. You know, Andy Robertson has been the one that, that that's been setting the standard for Liverpool. And um, I think Klopp Klopp's reaction to Robertson at the end of the match, where the the cameras were still rolling, he gave a he gave him a massive hug at the end. Kind of showed just how how, how good his his performance was and how important he is to this Liverpool team. Because obviously, um, a lot there's been a lot of tactical um, analysis of Liverpool, and 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 one of the key parts of, of how they play is the creativity comes from the fullback positions you know their midfield is at least pre Tiago is not a, a conventional midfield they don't have a, a, a creator as such in that central uh, midfield unit and and really the creativity comes from from the fullbacks and Andy Robertson is, is so important to that team and it's been a while speaking as a Scot I, I, he's the most he's not just the best but the most influential Scottish player of 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 my lifetime, I think, for any team. I don't think in, in my lifetime we've had a player who has been so important to a team that right now is potentially the best team in Europe. Wow. You've just tried, I'm scrambling to think of other really important Scottish players in our lifetimes, but I think you might have nailed it there. So let me extend the question in this direction, Graham. Is he the best left back out there in the game at the moment? I think it's between him and, and Alfonso Davis. Uh, by Munich, obviously, very different sort of 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 fullbacks. When you watch Davis, you still get the impression that he is a he's a winger playing as a, as a as a fullback. That's not meant to be a a slight on him. It's just a different sort of way he plays the game. Much more of a of a of a dribbler. Although Robertson's not bad at dribbling himself, um, but Robertson's more of a over of a crosser. Davis is more likely to kind of burst into the box himself and and cut back a pass, um, as we saw uh, several times last season. But yeah, Robertson is. He's got to be up there. I mean, I can't. I'm, I'm struggling to think. Even you know, the span. You would look to Real Madrid and Barcelona normally, but Alba's not as good as Robertson at the moment. Uh, Ferlin Monday's playing quite well, but I would say not to the the level of of Robertson. So so yeah, he he's up there. And as a Scot, that that that's quite jarring to say that that we have one of the best <laughs> players in the world at the moment. But of course, it's typical that you know we have two potentially world class players at the moment in in Robertson and Tierney, and they both play in the same position. So that's our curse. <laughs> So, yeah, you, you, you're qualifying for the Euros. You've got one of the best fullbacks in the world. Next, you'll be telling me that Scotland invented this game that we're talking about. You, you, you know, what, what direction <laughs> are we going in here, Graham? Goodness me. Let's, um, let's maybe talk about the front line here. <clears throat> we had, uh, obviously, uh, Diego, Diego Jota uh, having a good impact in this game, getting that header for the second goal. And Bobby Firmino 
who uh, is an interesting one to talk about. Uh, finally, sort of breaking the curse of this game, hitting the woodwork twice, was it? Before he finally got his goal for the yeah. third goal. Um, sort of pretty uh, poor poor marking from uh, Sendi's under, um, who was very much under Firmino as he rose to get the header to uh, to get that third goal. Uh, and it, it, it just seems like Firmino, he gets a lot of, criticism for maybe not getting all the getting on the score sheet as often as he should but he's clearly getting his place in this front line because of the importance to the team because of the way he draws out defenders almost in the similar way to we saw Harry Kane doing it in in the game against City he's he's a pretty vital cog in this machine isn't he yeah yes and that that shouldn't be uh that shouldn't be understated how how important he is to this Liverpool team obviously it would be nice if he started scoring a bit more I mean there were times in this game when it was as if he was shooting wearing hiking boots or rock ports or something uh <laughs> that's how that's how bad his finishing was but it, it, he got the goal in the end um and hopefully that'll maybe loosen him up a little bit in front of goal and I think you saw the reaction of Klopp when he scored that and and that kind of tells you how important that goal was just to just to get that monkey off his back and 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 maybe get less people talking about him because a lot of people are talking about Firmino at the moment obviously because of the impact that uh, Diego Jota's made in that team. You know, Jota's got, I think he became the first ever Liverpool player to score in his first home, four home games at Anfield, mm-hmm. which is quite remarkable. I think he's got four, uh, I was looking this up, he's got four open play goals in, at, at home in the Premier League this season. Um, in contrast, Manchester City have two and Manchester United have one. So that kind of puts into perspective the, the impact that he's made at Liverpool and and. And really, the the pressure that he's been putting under Firmino, I actually think it's really interesting how Klopp has tried to fit all four of the of of his kind of first choice attackers into the team. Like obviously, the game against Manchester City, Salah yeah. was still fit for that game. He he's obviously missing at the moment through um through uh, self isolation through weddings out of the week through wedding attendances. Yeah, through- Wedding celebrations. Uh, to be honest, a few of us have missed uh, days of work after uh, wedding celebrations. Just his are a little <laughs> bit different. <laughs> his reason is a slightly different. Um, but yes, uh, I think it's quite interesting how Klopp is slightly, is, he's moving a little bit away from this 4-3-3 and moving more to a, what would you say, as a 4-2-3-1 with Jota as, or, or Firmino as the, as, the, as the front man. And then obviously the, the three of Mane, Firmino and, and uh, Salah. But they're kind of all interchangeable, and they play as a front four, and and it's really more of a four-two-four at times. And we saw that against City, so that is really interesting. But it's, it was important for Firmino to get this goal to to prove that he's still, and whether it's a four-two-three-one or a four-three-three, that he he's still a part of that first team. Yeah, great for his confidence, I imagine. And just as I say, just to reaffirm it, just such good work off the ball. He's winning headers. He's drawing out centre backs. He's doing sort of the really good non-statistical contributions, the stuff that maybe the numbers don't tell you as much about. But you touched Graham there on, on Jota as well. Let's talk about him a bit. Who'd have thunk that he would come into this team and just slot in so seamlessly to this front three? I, I guess, uh, or front four, as, as indeed it has been as well, as you mentioned. I guess it does speak to Jurgen Klopp's strength of his system, as we're saying that any player can kind of fit into any position uh, and still have success. Could, could we call Jota the best signing of the season? The way he's worked into this team, the way he's obviously getting results right off the bat. Yeah, I think he has to be. I, I, I think there's been a few good signings. Uh, I mentioned Reguilón earlier. I know he's only played a, a few games, mm. but he's been very good. But Jota's just been so outstanding. I mean, what's what's his goal scoring record? As I say, he's got four at home. He must have what six or seven for Liverpool already, which is is, yeah. is, is, is quite remarkable. Um, 
and I was surprised. I actually not to you know not not to give myself too much credit. I, I thought he was a good signing for Liverpool when 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 they made it. I was surprised a number of people thought the fee. What was the fee around forty million pounds? I think it was off the top of my head. A, a lot of people at the time felt that that was maybe slightly too much for for Jota. I actually thought that was a bit of a bargain. However, I, I mean, who could have predicted, as you say, that he would come in and make such an impact? And and you mentioned Klopp's system there, and that that's right. You know that that um players elsewhere in the squad can come in and do a job because his coaching is so strong and his system and his philosophy is so strong. However, for new signings, it can take new signings a little bit of time to 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 adopt that that that, that ideology, that philosophy. Well, obviously, the, the obvious one was uh, Fabinho, who signed a couple of years ago and really didn't become a first-team figure um, for Liverpool until around about Christmas time. He took a long time. I remember Andy Robertson. Andy Robertson, the first couple of months, Klopp was playing uh, Moreno at left back because Andy Robertson wasn't quite in line with his system. Um, so that's the surprising thing is that it's basically taken him no time to, uh, to bed into this Liverpool team. And if this is how good he is now, I mean, how good could he be once he gets even more comfortable in, in, in this side? Goodness me, how much this team have moved on from Alberto Moreno. It's quite it's quite amazing to think about, <laughs> isn't it? Let's uh, Maybe let's talk about Leicester for a second, who maybe were unlucky with that sort of con- slightly controversial handball decision from John Matip uh, early on in the game. Do you have any opinion on that before we move on from that one? Yeah, I did think it was, it was a handball, given everything that we've seen this season. I mean, whether I actually think it should be a penalty is obviously another question. Those are those are two different debates in this season, whether it, it should be a penalty or is a penalty. But going by what we've seen this season, yeah, I think Leicester, that was a bit of a puzzling one that after the VAR, that, that wasn't given. Yeah, having Matip stick his hand out and change the direction of the ball, we've seen those given elsewhere, I would say that much. But uh, Leicester, I don't think at the end of the day we're getting a result out of this game. They were outclassed they were pretty passive in this one and they were they were pinned back by by, by Liverpool here who you know they, they just had their midfield cut out whenever James Madison tried to do something he couldn't get the ball to Vardy because Georgia Wijnaldum was there stopping him doing that and uh, when Vardy did get the ball it sort of had some shots off of goal and you know it, it just seemed like a bit of a disappointing Leicester team I was hoping they put up more of a fight than they did here yeah, it, it it was disappointing. What I would say is it, it was kind of in line with what we've seen from from Leicester a number of times against this Liverpool team. It's almost like they they go into these games thinking it's the the first leg of a of a of a you know a two legged European tie or something, and they're just trying not to to lose or the first leg, or even they're trying to keep the score down. However, when the more I thought about that, I was thinking that about that to myself last night about that Leicester's performance. I actually thought that. Maybe it's maybe this is a poor tactical matchup for Leicester. You know they 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 thrive and we were speaking about Spurs obviously in the way that they play with Jamie Vardy and and this season increasingly with Harvey Barnes they play in a, they play in a similar way. You know they they want to give Vardy essentially a whole opposition half to run into and the problem with Liverpool obviously is that they they play a high line and so the the gap between the likes of Fabinho in this case and a case and Matip and then the the midfield. There's not a lot of space to the point where sometimes there's not any space at all. So really, you're you're depending on just playing balls in behind rather than in between the lines, if you follow me. And and mm. Liverpool have the the pace to recover in that situation. So the the lack of of space between the Liverpool defence and the midfield is is a bit of a problem for Leicester. And and I think Rodgers will now have to next time they face Liverpool that he has to kind of go back to the drawing board in much the same way he did for the game against Arsenal. 
earlier this season where he tried something a little bit different. And I know they scored the winner when Vardy came off the bench and they kind of went back to their normal system, but he at least showed a willingness to do something a little bit different in that game. And I think he might need to do something similar the next time they play Liverpool. Very much so. Well, a very good result for Liverpool, who go joint top with Tottenham. Uh, Tottenham ahead on goal difference at the moment. Liverpool uh, facing Atalanta midweek, uh, the team they beat 5-0 last time they faced. And will be interesting to see who is named in that team, whether Klopp uh, puts more preference on the uh, forthcoming league game against Brighton. But good stuff from Liverpool. I'd like to take a moment now. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. to tell you about today's sponsor, Credible. Credible.com is an online marketplace that allows borrowers with student loan debt to see refinancing rates across a variety of lenders. If you've got student loan debt, you could benefit from Credible.com. There are lots of benefits to refinancing your student loans. Let me read some out for you. With a lower rate, you could save on interest or lower your monthly payment. That means more money in your little pocket. More money in your pocket is good as far as I am concerned. You can get debt-free faster and you can consume Consolidate all your student loan bills in one place. This gives you serious peace of mind. Credible customers have given awesome reviews about how much their financial lives have been better after refinancing. Some of the benefits of using Credible to refinance your student loans are that you see actual pre-qualified rates from multiple lenders, whereas with some online marketplaces, you'll get ranges of rates or ballpark estimates. And it only takes a couple of minutes to check rates and checking rates doesn't impact your credit. They will never sell your data. So you won't receive spam and phone calls from dozens of lenders. What a wonderful thing to hear. Uh, please visit Credible.com slash TSS. That's C-R-E-D-I-B le.com slash tss and when you refinance your student loans via credible they'll give you a 200 dollars gift card fill in a few pieces of info to check what rates you're eligible for and you can only find this offer through our show's url so again that's credible.com slash tss credible.com slash tss finance your student loans and start saving. Message from Credible Options, Inc. Not available in all states. Terms and conditions apply. Visit Credible.com slash TSS for details. Thank you very much to Credible for sponsoring today's show. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Thank you very much to Artifact for sponsoring today's show. Artifact is a custom podcast company. Artifact sets you up with one of their professional interviewers to catch stories about the important things or people 
in your life. Think of Artifact as an on-demand podcast studio and you can focus on anything you want. Graham, I don't know if you've heard about Artifact, but it's a really interesting custom podcast service. So say you want to interview your parents about what their lives were like before you were growing up. If you've got grandparents who are maybe involved in, in military service and you could find out all about their lives, what a wonderful way to find out about that, a very unique way to find about that, having a custom podcast made and it could be a great gift with the holidays coming up, of course. And we first introduced Artifact here as a sponsor this past summer. But since then, some other people have noticed what Artifact are doing. The Wirecutter from New York Times just named Artifact one of the best gifts for family bonding for 2020. Uh, if you want to know how it works, let me tell you how it works. You go to heyartifact.com. You tell them a few basic things about what you want your artifact to be about. Step two, you then answer a free, uh, a few pre-interview questions and you schedule yourself an interview. The whole thing only takes a couple of minutes there. And then you have your interview for your, for your artifact, which will take about 30 minutes. Very easy stuff. You just call in from your phone. And there you have it. Artifacts professional editors and sound engineers will take care of the whole process from there. They'll edit together your story. They'll edit together your final product. Uh, and you can go and check that out. And if you want to save $40 on your first artifact, you can use the code TSS40 when you head to heyartifact.com. So head to heyartifact, H-E-Y-A-R-T-I-F-A-C-T.com and use the offer code TSS40 for $40 off your first use of Artifact. Thank you so much to Artifact for sponsoring today's show. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Graham, let's move it to continental action now. How about we take a trip to Spain, uh, to La Liga, which is quite local at the moment. Real Sociedad, top of the division with a 1-0 win over Cadiz at the weekend. Real Madrid, once again, dropping points with a draw at Villarreal. Uh, but let's talk about Atleti taking on Atletico Madrid, taking on Barcelona, a 1-0 win for the title challengers, Atletico Madrid, against the mid-table Barcelona. Uh, this is the first time Atleti have beaten Barca in the Liga in a decade. Wowzers. What did you make of this one? Yes, it, it pretty much went as as I expected it to, to be honest. I had Atleti as, as the slight favourites for this. I thought they Quite similar to the, the Spurs City game, actually, that we were talking about earlier. Even though Barcelona had slightly more of the ball, it felt like the match was was played on uh, Atletico Madrid's terms. And and I think the Spurs comparison is actually maybe a, quite a strong one for Atletico Madrid. They are the Spurs of La Liga this season. And that if this season, if this title race is about attrition, then they're probably in, in pretty good shape. And I think if they win their game in hand, they probably I think they go ahead of of it, or actually they've got two games in hand over Sociedad, they, they go ahead of uh, Sociedad at, at, at the top of the table, so 
they are looking like the real deal this season. Simeone, there was a lot of talk last season about him going to a more expansive, modern style of play. He seems to have ditched that this season by going with a front two of uh, Felix and, and, and uh, Suarez. Suarez didn't play against Barcelona, but he's been mm. first choice for since he signed from Barcelona in the summer. And, and it's very reminiscent of when Simeone used Costa and uh, Griezmann up top. So it, it, I wouldn't say it's, a, it's quite vintage Atletico Madrid yet, but they are on that path. If you'd accused a La Liga team of being the Spurs of La Liga in seasons gone by, I'm not sure <laughs> they've been quite as happy about it, but perhaps it is appropriate here for Atletico Madrid, definitely. They they were, we know that they're a very superbly organised team when it comes to defence. We saw that Jan Oblak was certainly the better of the two goalkeepers here. We can get to that in a second here. Uh, and and they were just really good through the left channel throughout this game with uh, with uh, Yannick Cresco and uh, Jao Felix on the left. Really, re- really fun to watch. And Koke just bossing the middle of the field as well in, in defensive midfield. Really good stuff. Very good use of the fullbacks with uh, Kieran Trippi on the right side, looking very dangerous too. But let's let's talk about that first goal, or the only goal, I should say, with uh, with Carrasco getting it. And Carrasco, by the way, he seems like a, a big game player. I think I'm not mistaken in saying he won a couple penalties last time um, they played Barcelona. He scored, obviously, in the Champions League final and had that flex uh, celebration. Was it kissing his girlfriend? I think he did afterwards, which was yeah. a pretty cool thing to do. <laughs> um, but also a big flex on this goal with a, a nutmeg of uh, Marc-Andre Testegen with his first touch uh, as he was put through uh, on goal here. Um, can we talk a little bit about this goal, Graham? We had uh, a Testegen coming way out of his box to try and meet Carrasco uh, and, and suffering the consequences of that. But it, it, it seemed like it was almost unnecessary because he had a defender between him and Carrasco at the point when he came out. He had, I think it was Longley uh, in between them, which I, yeah. I don't know when, you, when you're taught the game, you're, you're typically taught... Um, you know, don't come out of your box uh, if there's another defender between you and the attacker, which was a curious decision. But maybe he's done that because he sees that the player chasing Carrasco is Gerard Piquet and there's probably only one person winning that foot race. What did you make of that goal? Yeah, as you say, you know, as a goalkeeper, it's probably not advisable to come almost pretty much to the the centre circle (laughs) uh, (laughs) of your goal. That's probably something you want to avoid. But yeah, you're right. Ter Stegen was made to look a bit of a fool here. Um, he's a very good goalkeeper, but he 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 does make mistakes like this sometimes. I think it actually speaks to though a lack of pace in the Barcelona defense at the moment. So the 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 three the pass was kind of played to the, the slightly to the left wing uh, from Atleti, so that the right side of Barcelona's team, and on that right side you have uh, Sergio Roberto, decent right back, but you wouldn't say particularly pacey. Then Longley is is uh, you know pretty average pace, and then you mentioned PK there who was still on the pitch at the time, um, getting on a little bit in his career and, and slowing a little bit. So it's almost as if Ter Stegen feels he needs to do more to come out and, and, and close that space because of the lack of pace. And actually, I think that's where um, Sergino Dest could actually be pretty useful for Barcelona. Roberto and Piquet both suffering injuries from this game. It looks like Piquet in particular will be missing for, for quite some time. Longley is now their only fit centre-back at the moment. Dest came on against uh, in this game after the injury to to Pique. I think De Jong went to centre back and Dest yeah. went to right back. Um, I think Dest is now set for a, a quite a, a prolonged run in the team. He's been pretty decent actually for for Barcelona since he's he's come into the team. Has slotted in pretty seamlessly. But I think his pace could actually uh, benefit Barcelona from not just from an attacking sense but from a de- defensive uh, sense because I think if Dest is on the pitch. 
maybe Ter Stegen feels like he doesn't need to come out because he's got Dest who can obviously keep pace with with Carrasco. But um, yes, Ter Stegen uh, will rue coming uh, 40 yards off his line, I imagine. Yeah, I think so too. And it just feels like every time we talk about Barcelona on this show, it's always the story of how their high line is being caught out. Uh, under Ronald Koeman here it just seems like they don't have the players quite to to do the system that Koeman wants to do if that makes sense yeah and and he has tried a few different things not just from a a defensive point of view he has he has pretty much stuck with a a flat back four but he's he's tried a a 4-2-3-1 is really what he wants to move Barcelona into obviously Barcelona since the Guardiola days have been a a 4-3-3 side and he's shifted away from that he's trying to use De Jong and, and Busquets and also Pjanic coming into this team as well as a as a, a double pivot I suppose you would call mm. a, a, a midfield two. He's he's using Ansu again injured. I mean Barcelona have so many injuries at the moment not just at, not just in the defensive uh, area of their team but Ansu's now out for for quite a while but he's been used on the left. Griezmann has been used primarily through the middle though he's been shifted through a, a little bit around uh, the place and and Messi kind of off the right and then Pedri the seventeen year old. In the, in the number 10 position and Coutinho has, has kind of come into that position as well but it, it, there are a few there are a couple of awkward fits in that system I mean Griezmann is a big one he's been talking I think it was two international breaks ago he he publicly said he wanted to play through the centre he played through the centre I think it was against Atafi the next game and 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 they lost and, and he did nothing at all and, and so he's not really doing anything to justify his position in this Barcelona team at the moment, and there was a picture um, as Atleti celebrated. I'm not sure if, whether it was at full time or, or for the goal, but a picture of Atleti players celebrating behind a forlorn, forlorn uh, Griezmann with his hands on his hips, and it, it was just a lot of symbolism in that image where Atleti seemed to be moving on from Griezmann. It took them a little while to find someone to play his role. They've got that player in Yao Felix now, and and Griezmann isn't moving on, and that he's he's still not found a place in this Barcelona team, and and Coman. Who I, I think the hope was that he, his new ideas would invigorate the Frenchman. It, it, it doesn't seem to be panning out that way. It doesn't seem to be panning out that way. And the the it, the almost poetry if Atletico Madrid win this league and uh, Griezmann ends up with nothing, having switched to Barcelona. It see it does that's pretty curious and pretty unfortunate for the Frenchman there. Let's maybe uh, talk about Leo Messi as well. As we mentioned earlier in the show, he's been uh, dropped or rested from the Champions League squad heading to Ukraine uh, with Barcelona uh, later this week. It's a very curious situation with Lionel Messi. We know he wanted away in the summer and he's kind of been behaving like he wanted away in those games since. We know he's sort of flown in from South America to play in a pretty big game for this one. And it kind of showed he was just not running. And we, we know that Leo Messi does, a, does the not running thing pretty well in general, but just not, not doing messy things either, not, not finishing very well, not getting into positions he needs to get into. It just seems like he doesn't have the presence that he had uh, this uh, he's previously had this season. It seems like he's not quite the player he was. Is that fair to say? Yeah, and the thing that was most striking about this performance for me was the lack of confidence in Messi. I mean, we've seen Messi mm. go through a number of different phases in his career. We've seen him be frustrated, certainly, in recent years. You know, he's been frustrated. We've seen him be fatigued, where he's he's played in every single game. And I think there is an element, there was an element of that in this performance, as you mentioned there, he'd flown back from South America on the Thursday, I think it, it was. He'd, he'd, he'd played a, a small part in training on, on, on the Friday. Um, and so that needs to be factored in, that he's, he's played a lot of football recently. 
but it, it was the, it was the lack of confidence for me that was that was striking. There was a chance right at the end of the of the first half where it was just one of those situations where Messi of old would have scored. Um, it was at quite a tight angle from 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 the left wing, but we've seen him fire in at the near post. Obviously, he had Jan Oblak to beat, who's one of the best goalkeepers in the world. But instead of having that conviction in what he was doing, Messi waited and waited for someone in the middle to make themselves available. And I just don't think he would have he would have done that um, even last season. Um, he would have taken that shot on himself. At least he would have forced a save from from Jan Oblak. And in the end, he waited so long that there was. There was just too many bodies around him, and and uh, I think he shot into the side netting, and it was just illustrative of of how messy at the moment it, he's just not himself. I think there's 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 stuff going on in his mind, in, in his in his mind. I think he's been pretty shaken by what's happened at the camp now this year. And um, he spoke of the international break of how he was sick of being blamed for the for the problems that they've had. I think it was Antoine Griezmann's agent it was or his father one of the two who'd made comments that it was really difficult to play in the same squad as Lionel Messi and Messi hit back and said you know what I'm actually sick of being blamed for everything at Barcelona so he he's not playing with any confidence at the moment and it does feel like he needs a, a bit of a fresh start whether that's at another club like Manchester City or at Barcelona of course it feels like Barcelona are just waiting around at the moment for a new regime change to come in with a new president most likely a new manager for next season. No matter what Coleman does, the new president seems like he's going to want to appoint a manager of his own. And that could be the fresh start that Messi needs. But something needs to change because he's not himself at the moment. Yeah, that point about Barcelona waiting around is interesting because you can't even call it a rebuilding season, can you? It just seems like they're in a period of stasis at the moment. They've got an aging team. They've got a manager who's not necessarily getting the best out of his players. You got, you know, this team doesn't press. They, they're looking quite sluggish. They're getting caught out of the back time and time again. Uh, top performers aren't performing. We've got Gerard Piquet, uh, who could be out for a while, and he's he's poor as well. It just seems like it's not a very good. It's not happy families at Barcelona at the moment. And I, I'll, I'll put this to you, Graham. If Atletico Madrid don't win the league this year, with Barcelona down in 10th or wherever they are, and, and Real Madrid uh, dropping points left, right and centre, if they don't win it this year, will they ever win it again under Diego Simeone? Well, yeah, it's, it's a good question because in recent years, it's felt like the, the, the gap between Barcelona and Real Madrid was, was starting to, to widen. A little bit, um, but yeah, the circumstances are perfect for them. Even Real Madrid, you know, they're not playing that well at the moment. As you say, they they dropped points at uh, Villarreal on, on on Saturday. They're they're doing better than Barcelona. A bit more consistency to their, to their performances. It doesn't feel like they're on the verge of collapse every time that they they you know go onto a pitch. But they're not playing that well either. So things are are set up for Atletico Madrid and not just set up for Atletico Madrid, I have to say, you know, Real Sociedad are playing really well at the moment. And if ever mm-hmm. there was a season for for a true outsider to, to, to crash the party at the top of La Liga, this is it. I think it's just that residual effect of David Moyes being there a few years ago. It's finally sinking in for Sociedad. <laughs> is, that, is that what it is? Yeah, that's it. I, I, he, he put in place the principles and the values now that are, you know, seeing Sociedad rise to the, the top of the table. Sitting in the stands eating potato chips at Sociedad, that was the groundwork they needed for success this season. I think that's what we can uh, get from that. All right, Graham, how about we move on finally to talk about Serie A, uh, where we had uh, Juventus with a 2-0 win over Cagliari, uh, with Ronaldo getting both goals in that game. But let's focus on Napoli against Milan. Uh, a 3-1 win for Milan in this one. Milan going two points clear at the top of Serie A with this one. Uh, Napoli down in sixth place for this one. Uh, Pioli and his assistant were both absent with COVID. Uh, but still, Milan pulled off the win. 
thanks to one very special man up top, right? Yes, he is quite special. <laughs> 39 years old, uh, making me wonder if we need to kind of reshape the concept of what we consider to be old in football, especially when you consider what Ronaldo's also doing at Juventus. I mean, is this is this due to advances in sports science or is, is, is he just as exceptional as he says he is? Zlatan, you know, frequently says he is. Do we just have to start believing them that actually he's he's not making himself out to be a bit of a caricature that he's actually just telling the truth and he is actually a lion? <laughs> but uh, yeah, this was a, a very perform a very impressive performance from uh, Milan. Um, Napoli went down to ten men. That 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 seemed to actually change the the dynamic of the game, and they actually came back into it um, through a, a goal from Dries Mertens. But uh, Milan were just they, they were the better team throughout, uh, even before the the sending off. And Milan looked like the the real do. You're talking about you're talking about uh, Barcelona and Real Madrid, not being at it this season and that opening the door for Atletico Madrid. It's a similar situation in, in Serie A where Juventus haven't been truly at it this season. I know they're still in the mix, but they, they've not been as dominant as they have been in, in recent season. And Milan are, are doing their best to, to, to take advantage of that. You mentioned there Pioli wasn't at the game. I don't know. Did you see how he kept an eye on training from his home? Did you see that? I didn't. He, used a, dro- he used a drone. Over the over the training pitch to catch a glimpse, and I was just thinking, don't give Marcelo Bielsa any ideas with that one, you know. <laughs> with a drone, like Marcelo Bielsa, I'll be thinking, wow, why did I not think of that one, you know, to get a, an advantage over opponents? But yeah, he's doing a great job at Milan, and um, Zlatan picked up an injury in this match, which will be a concern. He seemed to be okay. He was still walking around. He had he had a, a bit of an ice pack on. On his leg, it seemed to be on his thigh or his, or his quad area. An injury to him would be disastrous because they are playing to his strengths and a lot of crosses and uh, long passes into him. And and um, if you take him away from the team, then they lack a focal point. But for now, it's 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 going very well. Yeah, he is very much the focal point. And that that first head, the first goal, that amazing header from the Teo Hernandez cross, quite similar in its in its beauty to the Robertson uh, to to Jota uh, goal as well. Uh, just the way he sort of rises over Kulivali and gives him absolutely no chance of winning the ball, and a header from that far out, it it just speaks so much to Zlatan's athleticism at this point. And by the way, it's wild that it's 2020, and the race for top scorer in Serie A is Ronaldo against Zlatan. 2020, amazing stuff. Uh, keeps keeps on giving there. But you mentioned Zlatan as a focal point there. Uh, it's not necessarily that Milan are a one-man team here. I mean, they've got lots of strengths here. I mentioned the fullbacks there, Tia Hernandez doing a very good job. Uh, Rebic does uh, is is uh, performing at a very high level, and those two midfielders, Kessie and Benacer, I think we've said before on this show. They're sort of uh, the real meat and potatoes of this team, if that makes sense. I and mean, Kessie was at fault for um, giving up the ball, uh, I think, to Zielinski to, uh, for, for Dries Merton's uh, uh, consolation goal. But still, those two, I think, are really important in this team. And it's, you, you, you do wonder if, um, if Zlatan is out for a while with that hamstring injury, if, if uh, Milan's title chances will suffer. They may very well do. But they're not necessarily a one-man team, are they? No, absolutely not. And actually, Zlatan is a little bit of the the exception in this Milan team. You know, he's 39 years old. He is, uh, you know, the oldest player in that squad. But the rest of the, the Milan's team is is actually pretty young. I mean, you go from front to back, they have a lot of good young players there. You mentioned uh, Kessie. He, he's one that I've been really impressed with. I mean, he's a midfielder who can pretty much do everything. I mean, he, he is, a, you know, a, a, that term people use, a double pivot, but that doesn't actually 
cover what he does. I mean, he he he's creative, he's defensive. You know, he is a complete midfielder. Teo Hernandez, you mentioned there as well. We were speaking about the best left backs in the world. It was probably a little bit remiss of me not to mention him at the mm. moment because he is he's doing so well. And and between him and Reguilón, you wonder if maybe Real Madrid should actually start keeping hold of some of their left backs, uh, given how well they've done after they, they've left the club. But yes, they're not a one-man team at all. And and um, you know even even on on Sunday there, I mean, you had the the youngster, the Scandinavian youngster, um, uh, how actually I've not heard his name pronounced yet. Jensen Peter Hauge, is that how you say his name? But anyway, the guy who Jens Peter Hauge. Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> but anyway, he he comes off the bench and scores his first uh, Serie A goal at the weekend. A lot of excitement about him after the summer uh, move, and 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 so it just proves that they've got a little bit of of depth beyond uh, Zlatan. It's not so much that they don't have good players; it's just he's maybe an exception in in the type of player he is. That I do worry about if he if he got injured, if they'd have to change their style of play. But yeah, they have they have a very good team right now. They do indeed. It's going to be exciting uh, the title race in Syria, as it will indeed be in the Premier League as well. So we've got a, a great season ahead of us, a chaotic season ahead of us, no doubt. Uh, before we move on from Serie A, Graham, just a, a question for you: What's your relationship to Italian soccer? Because you're, I, I believe, you're a similar age to me. You likely would have grown up with uh, Italian soccer being on TV in the UK um, and being quite prevalent. And uh, do you do you still have a, a strong bond with the league? How how do you feel about it? Yeah, certainly do have a, a strong bond with the league, and and you're right there to to mention kind of when we were growing up, it, it was football Italia with uh, with James Richardson. I I I, I kind of caught the back end of that. I wouldn't say that I caught the the, the peak of those years where they used to show Serie A games on uh, on terrestrial TV on on Channel Four live. I, I never really caught that, but towards the end they would do the highlight packages on a on a I think a Sunday morning, mm-hmm. um, and. Yeah, so my relationship was through the, with the league was was through that, and I mean Serie A at the, at the start of of the the noughties, I suppose as the, as they've uh, come to be known, was, was, you know, was a strong league. I mean, two thousand and three Champions League final was it? Two thousand and three Old Trafford, DC Milan versus Juventus. Yeah, um, and that that didn't feel like a fluke. You know, it felt like those that Italy was really kind of the best league in 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 Europe, certainly up there as 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 one of the best leagues in in Europe. And recently, it has been starting to get back to that to that level i mean ronaldo going to juventus spoke a lot about um, juventus's ambitions you know sari going to chelsea i suppose on the back of what he did to to uh, at napoli said a lot about how people were were looking at, uh, at italy but it does still feel like behind la liga the premier league and the bundesliga is is trailing a little bit it's in that no man's land in the big five between those three and and Ligue 1 in France, I suppose, is always kind of the, the bottom of the of, of that pile in the, in the top five. But yeah, certainly there's a lot of romance to the league. And actually, I'm I'm drinking out of a, a mug just now that's got all the 90s uh, Italian uh, football shirts on it with all those uh, classic sponsors and, and so on. So yeah, certainly have an emotional connection with that league. <laughs> Fantastic stuff. It's just Milan doing well again made me think about my love of Serie A and how they were good when I was young and watching uh, Football Italia, as you say. And I think maybe Serie A deserves a bit more love than we give it. And uh, we'll certainly try and redress that balance uh, going forward. Graham, it's been wonderful having you on the show today. Thank you so much for joining me. Let's, before we head off into the sunset, uh, just uh, give a, a touch to the MLS playoff first round, which uh, have started to happen over the weekend. Uh, in particular, um, the Orlando game, uh, Orlando against NYCFC, and that rather bizarre series of events in the penalty shootout. We've got Orlando keeper Pedro Galisi saving the final spot kick, which would send 
uh, Orlando uh, Orlando through to the conference semifinals. VAR spots that he's got. He's come off his line very slightly. A retake's ordered. But no, he's already been booked by the rules by which uh, MLS plays of the 2019-20 uh, rules. Uh, he gets a second yellow card. Orlando try and make a sub and bring on the goalkeeper Brian Rowe uh, to take part in the shootout. But uh, they, they no, no one's quite sure if they're allowed to make a substitution in, in a penalty shootout. Turns out they can't. So they get an outfield play. <laughs> Yeah, Rodrigo Slegel to come into goal. Uh, and then you get New York, uh, New York City scoring their goal, but Nani missing the winning penalty chance. Uh, Slegel saving a penalty with a very curious technique of sort of making himself as small as possible in the goal. On Orlando celebrating like they've won the game at 5-5. A bizarre, very MLS-y series of events. Did you enjoy that one, Graham? It was the most MLS thing I've ever seen in my life. It was peak MLS. Drunk drunk soccer is what you know MLS should rebrand as. And it wasn't just <laughs> it wasn't just this penalty shootout as well. I mean, last night's game, but uh Sporting KC versus San Jose was a crazy game as well where KC looked like they'd won it and then there was uh Wando scores in, in, in stoppage time and then Tim Melia saves. I've never seen a more dominant goalkeeping performance from a from a goalkeeper where he just saved all three uh San Jose spot kicks and and you just knew he was going to save all three of them so penalty shootouts and MLS are uh, a, a a potent mix shall we say and if there's a penalty shootout in MLS you should probably watch it going on what we've seen in, in the playoffs so far Maybe we should just have penalty shootouts. Maybe that's what, you know, screw single elimination. Let's just have shootouts. Let's just yeah. do that for, for 90 minutes. I think that would be great. But I'm being a little bit facetious there. But the, the point I, I think I'm trying to make here is that single elimination, put it to my veins because we, we saw it being a lot of fun in the Champions League and we're seeing it being a lot of fun in MLS here. What do you, what do you think about that? Should we just scrap two legs and just do single elimination in all competitions? Yeah, it, it can be fun. Certainly, we've seen some some crazy games in in the Champions League and also, uh, as as you say, in MLS playoffs this year. But I, I do have to say, I'm I'm a, I'm a fan. I'm also a fan of the the two legged games, especially when I mean, right now it's obviously a little bit different with no fans in the stands. But I, I think when you have fans back and and you have the home and away element, and let's not forget in the Champions League. Um, I'm losing track of what seasons we're in. To be honest, you're right. Not last season, but the season before. Um, obviously, we had some crazy two-legged games where you know Manchester United coming back to beat PSG. You had that Spurs Ajax game, yeah, Spurs Ajax, and then you had Ajax Real Madrid. And there's probably games that I, I'm, I'm forgetting as well. Liverpool Barcelona, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, so the two-legged games can also provide drama. So I, I I get what you're saying. Single elimination can be great, but two-legged can also produce some drama. So I I say keep it. Keep it as it is for now, and we can maybe revisit if uh, there's even more drama in these single elimination games. All right, that sounds like a sensible solution. And it sounds like we should probably wrap up the show here. Graham, once again, thank you so much for joining us on this show. I really appreciated you. Thank you so much to everybody listening and getting this far into the podcast. Well done in, on an American soccer show, getting this far into the podcast with two Brits talking to you for an hour. Thank you for <laughs> to Taylor Rockwell for trusting me not to mess this one up. And of course, Graham, once again, thank you to you. It's been an absolute pleasure. I hope you stop by again soon and say hello to us. Yes, it's been fun, Ryan. Thanks for having me on. Mm-hmm.